Happy Ocean to Ocean Day, everybody. On this day of our Lord, the day of the release of Tori's 16th studio album, Ocean to Ocean, David and I wanted to commemorate the event and mark our own thoughts down for posterity. What better way to do this, though, than to invite all our favorite gays from coast to coast, ocean to ocean, to share their initial impressions with us and with you. We've got East Coast, West Coast, the Parisian French Coast, all jam-packed into our first review episode ever. This is Home Ocean to Ocean, the gays' first takes on Tori's new album. Pacific Ocean, we have a big group, starting, of course, with myself and David Anderson, the co-hosts of this show. And moving on, Shaggy, Miss Shaggy herself. Hi, Shaggy. What makes you uniquely qualified to review Tori Miss's music? Hello. Good morning. Uh, what makes me uniquely qualified? I've been listening to them for a very long time, like since I was a teenager. Have some history there. We also have Peter Zimmerman. Hi, Peter. What makes you uniquely qualified for reviewing Tori Avis's music? Hi. Uh, well, I am actually doing an official review for a music magazine. So I guess that makes me qualified from that perspective. I think I also reviewed Night of Hunters. It was supposed to be a 400 word review. It turned into like 10,000 words, of course. I, like Shaggy, have been listening to these records for so long and it's always the best week of the year when it's new album week. So very excited to be here. From the Atlantic Ocean, deep in the North Atlantic Ocean, we have the French lady herself, Paul Roy Taylor. What makes you uniquely qualified to review Tori's music? Um, so I feel unqualified to evaluate Tori's music in that um, I have curated Tori Amos's piano compositions for over 20 years, and I can play every piece note by note. And so when I'm looking at her music, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of what's the composition. Excellent. Also from the Atlantic Ocean, the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, we have John Auersler from New York City. Hi, John. What makes you uniquely qualified to review Tori Amos's music? Uh, hi, longtime listener, full-time homosexual, many show seeing fan. Sounds amazing. Let's get right to it. For the listeners out there, everybody on the panel gets one golden harpsichord to present to the song that they love the most. The Golden Harpsichord Award. Everybody gets one. And let's get to it. Addition of light divided. I feel like she's really just throwing us into the deep end here right off the bat. Normally we kind of like ease into an album a little bit more, but we're in it. I'm getting like shades of carbon here. Also, I'm not prepared to do math this early. My golden harpsichord goes to the opening track, Addition of Light Divided. I love it so much. I love Tash's background vocals on the choruses. I think they're amazing. I think they're well 
mixed. And I like that it sort of introduces the album. And I actually think it kind of, it sets up the 11 songs perfectly in my mind. When I remember hearing this and being like, it so far exceeded my expectations. It was a thrill. Uh, Well, the chains are back. She loves her chains. So I'm already picturing addition to Life Divided, Crucify Ophelia set list happening in my mind. So I wonder if that's kind of also why she put it as track one, because it's almost a throwback to Crucify, especially since this whole album appears to be about being reflective of the past career of hers. It's all about Tosh and those background vocals. How great of a compliment is it to Tori? Sounds amazing. There's um, a lot of fun piano work here. I thought concertina a little bit, like, um, but there's definitely shades of carbon. Um, the last minute is lovely, beautiful melodies, and I give the piano a five out of five. For me, this song, I was going to get a tattoo, the edition of Light Divided Tattoo, before the album came out, and I was going to post it on the Instagram with the, with the caption, the sexiest thing is trust, because I wanted to do it before I'd heard it. And I wish I had done it because I love this song. I think this is one of my favorites on the album. And again, Tosh really nailed like The vocals are really <laughs> wild and sophisticated. And the whole song just makes me feel very positive about the album. I didn't know Tosh was on it, by the way. Because you don't hear words. Can I say too, I don't know exactly the last time we heard the ambiance of the room, I'll say. Like we get piano pedal and kind of the creak of the piano too on certain tracks, including on this one. And I love that. For me, I almost feel like this would be a better album closer in that respect for me. Like, I'm going to play around with my own playlist and, and try it around, but I think it would be a good closer as well. Trees reminds me a little bit of Bouncing Off Clouds in that it is, I guess, what the kids are calling a grief bop. Is that a thing? Uh, it is now. Love the, I love the feel of it. I love that it's celebratory in the wake of a loss. Yeah, I found the lyrics to be probably her most straightforward, which I think kind of sets up the whole album. because I think it's lyrically her most straightforward lyrics. Like, there's really not a lot of metaphors here. Um, which is fine, but just kind of not what we're used to. But I think in her trying to come to terms with her grief, she's not looking for metaphors. She's just trying to find something that is just to the point and precise. Because when I was looking at the lyrics for Speaking with Trees, I was like, there's really not a lot here in a weird way, but she manages to fill, you know, four minutes with it really, really well. I love this song. I was listening to it on repeat when we first got it, and it sounds even better in full quality Dolby Atmos surround sound. I actually think the chorus is really beautiful and uplifting. It has like kind of a vague Kelty Renfair vibe, which normally would not be my thing, but I am into it for sure. Yeah, I remember when this came out and it was such a shock in a good way. And I've only continued to love it more and more. As a second track, I'm not sure if like, I think like Shaggy, I'm liking the idea of maybe playing around with the sequence for myself just for fun. But it is, I especially love near the end that build where she goes, you only know when you know this, how you'll cope with your losses. 
it's a very direct lyric. And usually I feel like a lot of her lyrics are more opaque, which is great, but I like how direct this one is specifically. So this one continues to be a real highlight. I too love this song. I was in a grieving place when it came out and just the way it opens up at that final bridge, I felt like throwing my arms up and just rejoicing at the end of it. I'm not surprised to hear this as the lead single at track two, following in the great tradition of God, a sort of fairy tale, Sweet the Sting, Big Wheel, Welcome to England, Yes, I Did the Research, Star of Wonder, and Trouble's Lament. So yeah, she'll always uh, give something in track two, I think. What a treat when this came out. I was so excited for the album because I thought it was a really strong single. And all I have to say is what a difference an actual drummer makes. It really makes the song flourish. The The melodies are great. I give the piano a three of five. And Yanta has actually already covered and transcribed this. So you can hear it solo if you want. And I'm sure he'll have the whole album done by next week. So... <laughs> I like how she talks about melting with Kali's spell in the first song, which is sort of like the goddess of motherly love, but also like death. Then going into this song where she talks about sort of like meeting with the tree house and the ashes under the tree house. And like, you only know when you know this, how, to, how you'll cope with your losses. So even though the album sometimes has more of an upbeat feel to it for like a quote unquote grief record, she talked about this in an interview where it's like the songs helped her through it. And I think rather than like the songs being reflective of her flailing in grief, it's sort of like their vehicles to get her through it. And so from what Shaggy was saying about the lyrics, it definitely feels like there's a directness to it that I really like. This is Sweet Sangria and IIE's Love Child. And somehow it's a baby that doesn't look and really sound like either one of them. But I love when she sort of plays with this genre. There's like tumbleweeds blowing through the song. And I feel like she's almost playing a character and feeling herself. Um, I think she's having a great time. And then so am I. Yeah, similar to David, Sweet Sangria is one of my favorite songs of hers. And this immediately sort of took me back into that world. I think she even talked in some interviews about like this song being Southwestern to her, which makes a lot of sense from a sound perspective. This is one of those situations where Mark's guitar works really well to take the song to another height rather than detract from it. This reminds me of Scarlet in that the guitar actually really heightens the song. I love the mood of it. And I think I forever will have stuck in my head her and Tash singing shame, shame. <laughs> shame. Yeah, I love this. The whole shame, shame part is so good. So when this track started, I had to double check my phone that it wasn't on shuffle and playing homogenic because that little like musical intro is like, wait a minute, where did this come from? Like, this is not Tori Amos. Clearly, this is Bjork. But then once, you know, the song starts, I'm like, oh, like everyone else has said, Sweet Sangria, but also see Trouble's Lament. You know, she loves a good Southwestern twang. Sweet Sangria meets Tom Bigby has that earthy vibe to it. Can't get enough. Love. I don't like this song. It's my least favorite song on the album. 
Um, and I don't like acoustic guitars though. I like a nice electronic guitar whale if it's going to be in there. It's too country sounding for me. It sounds a little like Broken Arrow Wild Way-ish for some reason to me. And I give the piano a zero out of five. Shaggy's having a heart attack, I can see. I wrote down, this is a Cormac McCarthy novel. I also wrote down Tumbleweeds Blowing By to reveal a gunfight about to begin. I see shades of Scarlet's Walk, the song, and shades of Broken Arrow as well, which I love Broken Arrow. And I agree that there are times Mark's guitar really nails it. And I think this is one of those times I really like this song a lot. I'd swim to New York State From the Cornish coast of England for even just a day we'll meet at that cafe I feel like the first three songs are really strong and we get a little bit of a reprieve here this is the moment when Tori like takes a sip and she's like hey everybody how's it going there's a little bit of that guy for me and I have to say, I always appreciate Tori's willingness to go the distance. She'll skate from Scandinavia all the way to the moons of Jupiter. She'll swim from New York State to the Cornish coast. And it's like, Tori, no one's really asking you to do that. And she's like, no, no, it's fine. I'm already suited up. Let me do it. Fine. She will drive her sob all over Ireland. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That's true. And she won't even make us chip in for petrol. Swim to New York State is, I think, the most surprising song for me because it starts out kind of maudlin but then it really builds in an unexpected way that i find totally intoxicating and fascinating and i really really love the music swell and matt drums really really great i love this song this song i remember hearing for the first time and it felt like okay this is the come down after the first three songs sort of like there's so much energy going on in the first three songs for me and then this was like okay we're sort of in classic ballad mode. It sort of felt like a cinematic ballad, but I really like the ending of it. I think the outro where it really builds and has sort of a crescendo, that's the part that I always come back to. Yeah, I, I agree that the ending um, is really lovely. And I think it actually is going to have a lot of potential live for her to like elongate that quite a bit. It's a little 1,000 Oceans to me, a little Your Cloudish. Those are songs that I think are good, but aren't particularly my cup of tea. So um, I think the song's good. It's, it's not for me. This is sort of where the album takes a little dip for me for the next few songs. I would say the piano is like a two out of five. Like it's not a piano song, but the strings are, are great. This was another one where I was like, no, really, I'm listening to Homogenic at the beginning with the same in the beginning. And then, you know, she starts and I'm like, okay, no, it's, it's worth but I love the kind of the build throughout the song because even though she kind of does her own build, like we don't really get a build like this from her that's pretty like minimal to almost big at the end. When she starts the song, you pretty much know what you're going to get like throughout the rest. So this was kind of a nice surprise like throughout the song, I thought. This is another song I love as well. And I love it particularly for the reasons mentioned, which is the builds, which is that crescendo and where it gets to how subtle it starts and how unassuming it is in the beginning. But by the end you gave and you gave and I love, I just love where she gets to. This is, I think, absolutely one of the songs that she must have used to process that grief that she's talking about. 
also where in New York State, like Albany, or like why not just New York City? But anyway, it's clearly Yonkers. I actually think this song is to Door, and she's talking about the Catskills. She'd swim up the Hudson straight <laughs> to Door. Knowing this may help you make make it through the night on lullaby. Knowing this may help you to open up your eyes. Spy. When I first heard the song, the first thought I had was pandemic has taken us all to some weird places. And that to me is where spies lives. I love that she's wildly experimental and that she seems to be having fun. Doesn't resonate with me as one of my favorite songs on the album, but I appreciate it for how different it is to anything else in her catalog. People are really loving this song and are anxious to hear it live if there's a band tour. I will say it doesn't sound like anything else she's ever done. And I think that's kind of true of a couple songs on this album, at least. And that's wildly impressive to me. Like, no matter how you feel about it, 16 albums in that she's still generating material that doesn't sound like her earlier work necessarily is pretty wild. And because we've talked about her kind of referencing her past work and kind of looking back at her career, I feel like she almost challenged herself to write a current Mr. Zebra with all these characters. Um, And she loves a bat, apparently. Tosh doesn't, I guess, but Tori does. Exactly as David said, I sort of had no idea what was going on through the whole song the first time I heard it. And I loved that feeling of just being taken to a totally different place. When she was talking about the album before we heard anything, it didn't seem like a song like Spies was going to be the second song that we heard for me. Um, I really love that this came out of sort of Tosh being scared of bats and moving down into like the living room to sleep. And Tori was like, okay, I'm going to write like sort of a grown-up lullaby. But I think the Mr. Zebra piece is is apt. I just love how weird it is, I guess. It must have been so much fun to make this song, and it sounds fun. Like, I, I feel like I have a smile on my face when I listen to it. So in that way, I just was not expecting something like this. It feels like the quirkiness of some of the songs on previous records, but done really, really well. Yeah, I'd say like, some of the past quirky songs have been almost obviously B-side that she's just kind of thrown on the album because, you know, B-sides don't really exist. Um, but with Spies, like, it's, the production on it is so good um, and also very different. Like, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, this is indie pop, like, which, again, Tori doesn't really do. Um, so it's nice that she's been taking all these chances so far on this album. We're already, like, five songs in and already I'm, like, I'm hearing new things I haven't heard before. Spies, still kind of an outlier, but makes sense within the uh, sequence of the album, particularly when you listen to Tori and what she says about coming through this dark period and how she talks about it's it's a lullaby for Tosh. It's cute. I like it. Um, I have a hard time getting through this song. I'm just going to be honest. Um, I don't think I've actually heard the whole thing because I skipped through it. A little bit. <laughs> Stop shaking your head, everybody. But the ending is awesome when it turns into like a show tune. I love that. There's not a lot of a piano here, but that's not the song it is. Um, maybe live, but for the album, I'd give it like a one out of five for the piano. And it also reminds me like a little bit of Unrepentant Geraldine's The Song, like the sort of like different structures and thing. And I think that's pretty cool. Ocean to ocean, tales of the sea. Troubling Stay with me 
song too. I mean, I just, I like it. I like the feel of it. It's very kind of like Ruby through the looking glass. I don't know. It has that kind of like sensual, lush richness to it. Love. I love a title track. And I always have certain expectations when I hear a title track for the first time, given, you know, that she's obviously chosen to name an album after the title track. I was expecting more of like a gut punch tear jerk ballad for some reason. And that is not this song. This is one, again, that's a little slippery in a good way. I'm going to need to spend more time with it, especially because there are a lot of standout moments on this album, but I will say after only a couple listens, I can't stop saying, there are those who don't give a goddamn. There are those who never give a goddamn. (laughs) I love that part. I can see it really popping live. To me, I wanted more bite though. I want to know who those people are that don't give a goddamn. I wanted to just nail people. Well, particularly because I think you're right that like this is sort of like a moment where she's showing a little bit of anger. And, you know, I I think she probably has a little more than she's letting on. Yeah, because with grief comes anger, too. That's like the anger stage. But then also, like, I wonder if something is left over in this track from whatever she was writing before. Remember how she talked about it being super political before? So this feels like a, a step out of that grief into that writing style. This one, for the first time, feels reminiscent of, like, I, Devil's Bane is reminiscent for, of some other songs to me, but this one really feels like a connection to the last 12 years in terms of her songwriting. It reminds me a lot of, like, Father's Son. Um, it reminds me a lot of Geraldine's. I like it a lot. Um, it's not one that I come back to all the time. I think sort of the first five songs feel like a real side of a record if that makes sense and then this is like the beginning of the second side of the record and in that way it's kind of good and I, I I do like how she's grappling with sort of the mass extinction line I mean it's it's very on the nose for her it's good it's fine um yeah it kind of reminded me a bit of like the whole climate change thing that she took on in Native Invader um with the whole like don't give a goddamn line on my playlist I think this might be like the opening track actually I think it kind of would be a good intro, kind of like the way America was. So I'm going to play around with that one. I like this track. Um, I like her pseudo, little pseudo rap that happens a couple times in the middle of it. I, it made me think of Madonna's American Life, <laughs> where she raps for like two minutes about soy lattes. And I, I wanted like a little bit more of that. I love the goddamn line. I'm looking forward to it live. I agree with Peter that it sort of like uh, opens up to the second portion of the album. And I'd give the piano like a three out of five. We You know I'm team solo, and I love a piano vocal ballad, so I'm very happy that this is on the album. I don't want to say it's gotten lost necessarily, but because there's so much production, this doesn't have my full attention as of yet. I'm getting like a little bit of Weatherman here, maybe a little bit of Toast, but mostly Weatherman. If it reminds me of anything, it's kind of that. This song is good. I was expecting a sort of different approach from the previous album's kind of solo songs, like A Breakaway or Climb. And I think this is one where I like the lyrics the most of the song. 
Flowers Burn to Gold, probably my least favorite of the songs on the album. Um, not that it's bad, but just because it feels, it has that kind of like weatherman toast feel to it that I feel like I've heard before. And so while it's still good, I just don't feel excited about it. This reminded me of Weatherman 2, but I was like, it reminded me of something even sooner. And then I realized it was Upside Down 2 that it reminded me more of. Um, I'm not really one for hearing like notes and musicals, so maybe Peter Paul Roy could help me out. Like if it does sound closer to that one, um, but that's the kind of the vibes I got. And then also, I'll mention it, Kate Bush. Like I was like Hounds of Love, Ninth Wave here, which then reminded me of what that album is about. It's about you know just trying to survive in this giant ocean, um, and I think remembering that and. I hear a lot of Kate throughout this album, probably more than I ever have with Tori. You know, that's so funny because that I had the same thought. There's like, it's not full songs, it's moments of songs. And I'm like, that is very Kate. And I almost never think that, but I think it's lovely. Like, I think it, it really, really works. I like this song. I also wrote in my notes, like Weatherman with a big exclamation point, because that's one of my favorite songs off Geraldine's. The piano is really languid and moody. It's probably one of the pieces that I'm most looking forward to to playing on the piano. I give it a four out of five for the piano. And uh, overall, it's a song that I like. I've never compared it to Kate Bush ever either in my life, just until the moons of Jupiter in Reindeer King sounds to me like Kate Bush is singing that phrase. She hits that note that Kate Bush hits and it just is, I, it's the first time I'd ever compared the two. And then I compare them again in a couple of moments on this album, it's starting here and again into Metal Water Wood. If anybody like has any confusion about does Tori Amos sound like Kate Bush, you will find the answer is no. If you listen to somebody like um, Emily Simone, who's a wonderful artist, but she, I mean, you, I remember playing it for Maria and she was like, is that Kate Bush? Because it really sounds like it. Like there, there's definitely a style that Kate Bush has and it, it's different from Tori's, you know what I mean? But there, there's just moments that you can find similarities. So. You found me. God, Metal Waterwood. Uh, love, love, love. So surprising. And the way she plays with the textures in the song, take these broken dreams, wash them away with the tide, I think is what she says. I don't know. I just, it's about regeneration. It's about rebirth. Just love it. Love, love, love it. This might be my favorite. At this point, I'm not sure if I'm going to go with Speaking with Trees, Metal, Water, Wood, or Edition of Light Divided, which one's going to get the Golden Harpsichord, but I'm not sure. But I really love this song, and Tori has talked about how this is the first one that came to her and kind of shifted the album that she was writing, and I think you can really hear that. There's like a vital energy to it, and it's really kind of intoxicating to sing along with her Metal, Water, Wood. She loves like naming elements. This is kind of like a sister to bang. This one was, I think when I heard the album for the first time, this was the one that probably surprised me the most because I had really high expectations for it from what she had talked about and kind of the title's cool. Um, it's like very her. 
and it totally delivered. I love this song so much. I think like David, it's in the running for my favorite song for the record. And I actually think the back to back of this in 29 years is my favorite part of the record. I find myself singing this a lot. And I love that take my shattered dreams, wash them away with the tide. I do like how she continues to come back to the imagery of water in this record, obviously ocean to ocean, but this one works really well for it. This song is just such a gift, if that makes sense. Like at this point in her career, it just feels experimental. It feels fun. The lyrics are great. The music is great. I love everything about it. Okay. So this actually is a Kate Bush song. Like just no doubt about it in my mind. I was trying to figure out which one it is last night. And I think it's watching you without me, which again is on Hounds of Love. And it is interesting that if she, you know, she nailed this song and I was like, okay, this is the rest of the album. So it doesn't surprise me then that that kind of Kate sound would be throughout the album if this is what she was basing it on. I love it. Tori has actually mentioned Watching You Without Me as being kind of a pivotal song for her personally. And she says listening to it encouraged her to leave the relationship she was in. Do you remember that? Oh, I do not. So look at her. Yeah, I have to wonder if during lockdown, you know, she was saying, you know, Tasha's boyfriend, Oliver, was playing a lot of records, you know, maybe they put on Hounds of Love and she was like, oh yeah, this album. This song receives my golden harpsichord. Do, 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 do. Um, I love this song. I love this song. Um, it's my favorite song on the album. I can't wait to play it. I honestly think it's one of her best songs in like maybe 10 years. This is one of those songs that when people say like, oh yeah, no, I've heard of Tori Amos. I'll be like, uh, no, you haven't. And then I'll play this song and like not David Bowie. I can't wait for it live. I give the piano which is really, you know, like the synth, a five out of five because it's so fun. And there's a lot of elements of songs where it's like a four minute song and there's like a minute of the song that I'm just like, oh my God, I just want that piece over and over again. And Metal Waterwood is the whole song is that way. Like there's not a dull moment. I can't speak any more highly of it. I'm with you. I think this is one of the best songs she's written in a very long time. Once I went through the whole album the first time, and then I started to go through it the second time, I just kept playing Metal Waterwood. It is such a great song. And it's very familiar that it's Tori. Like, you know, you see Tori in the song, but it's also very fresh. Who do you think is speaking to her in this song? Because it's a dialogue, right? It says like, Mm -hmm. be like water, you tell me, be like water. Um, And you know, the you say it's been a brutal year. Who do you think, do you think she's talking to her her mom or who do you think she's talking to? Based on you found me burning in despair. You said, I know dear, it's been a brutal year. I would say that it was her mom. Uh, feels to me like every, I mean, I don't know. I, that's a great question. That is a good question. I think it's kind of, yeah, I guess whoever found her, but I also have to wonder mentioning despair. Like if that is a throwback to the endless character perchance and maybe despair is responding back. Yes, I know it's been a brutal year. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of times when people talk about losing like a parent or someone close, they talk about having like some sort of either dream where they come to visit them or like even like a supernatural experience where that person has come and been like, I'm okay. It's okay. Do you know what I mean? I feel like I've heard of a lot of people who've had experiences like that. So it made me think maybe it's her mom coming and saying like, be like water, be like water. And that sort of leading her because right, David, you know, you mentioned it's the first song. 
be like water, be like water, maybe that's where she's finding her power again or her ability to get through this. It's sort of like, I like the kind of not knowing in a way and that pull the horizon down. I love how she sings that line. So yeah, I love too that it's kind of echoing a Pandora, a Pandora's Aquarium sort of situation being the first song that came to her, which kind of reveals the album and that it is be like water as the refrain. It kind of has shades of that era as well there. I already can't wait until we get to do the episode for this song on We're gonna have uh, to several years. It's on gonna, the it's well, gonna, wait, gonna, it's say, gonna be 29 years, David. Yeah, I, know, exactly. <laughs> I was gonna say, yes, you're right. At the point when we do it, we'll have to update it to like 59 years, maybe. I don't know, 49. Um, people have been talking about like a reggae influence on this song. Maybe those people are touring. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head where that's coming from. I'm not sure I hear that. Maybe my ear is not sophisticated enough or my knowledge of reggae music isn't deep enough to necessarily hear that. But that's not the first time people have cited a reggae influence in Tori's work. Bits of Past the Mission, Cornflake Girl, and even Ireland have been said to have a reggae influence. So I don't know. I'd be curious to hear what you guys think about that. And if this song sonically sits alongside any of those others. This one is really entrancing to me i had the similar situation like shaggy where when it first came on i was like wait is this actually tori amos's song um it reminds me a lot of like mid 90s garbage pj harvey kind of vocal effect on her voice in that those verses you know the my witch is not always benevolent and then i love the sort of shift back into this sort of I, I hate to say it but more earthy sounding or airy sounding how does this happen how does this happen and then the chorus to me is just like this uh, such a great that great construction of kind of your verse is so specifically one sound and then it kind of unfolds into this chorus that it sounds differently and it kind of gives a whole different heartbeat to the song. I, I don't know. I, I, I really love this one. Oh my God. Another song that's so good. I love this song too. I, I love to, it has this earthy feel to it and kind of like with elements that she has been sampling with for a while, but you know, they're coming together in this really like seamless organic way that I just think complements what she's talking about for 29 years since the earthquakes. I think she means Love, reflective, beautiful, love it. Well, sound the trumpet because this one gets my Golden Harpsichord Award. Wow. Right. So I can kind of hear what David was saying with people saying about the raggy influence because interestingly enough, my first thought, like clearly this is a song about her career and sound-wise, I actually was thinking Cool on Your Island, but like it was like a much more bass um, and deeper um, and I love the way the organ comes in on here subtly too, like under some of the notes, because I feel like she's kind of struggled with trying to incorporate organ into like actual rock songs. They kind of were very droning around the beekeeper, but she's done a really good job of incorporating it in pieces. I think like you don't have to do a whole song with the organ, but it works really, really well here. And yeah, I think it's an absolutely amazing song. 
And the vocal effects, oh my God, thank God. Because that's something else she hasn't really played with a lot. And that kind of harkened back to, you know, what she was doing with on To Venus and Back. Like really, really playing with those effects and layers, which I was really happy with. I think this album is extremely well produced. Extremely well produced. Uh, I don't know if it's the addition of like, you know, some some live musicians, but even just the production. Um, and on a song like this, you can really see that there's like a lot of vocal processing and it's used really well i like the guitars i like the the ambiance of the song it's up there for me in terms of one of my favorite songs on the album i'm excited for it live uh, i'd give the piano like a two out of five but this isn't a piano song that's fine and uh it's just a good representation of like the hard work that went into the overall sonic landscape of this album I have so much to say about this song. I feel I hear the reggae influence and it's, I have two stories to tell this song. When Whitney Houston went in to record, I will always love you. She nailed it on the first try. And then every other take after that was her trying to reach that peak. And then the rest of her career, you can argue was her trying to reach that peak. And I feel like that's what she's singing about here is her trying 29 years ago was little earthquakes. And I feel like it's her always trying to recapture that honesty and that truth and making sure she's holding herself to that standard and really striving for that. And, and the pain and heartbreak when you don't, um, when you don't reach that, you know, but then also uh, Nana Cherry, interestingly enough on a song called everything off of her album, the blank project talks about, the victim song and and cutting out and deleting the victim song from her voice and that it just reminded me in that ending when she talks about these victim tears trying to escape that idea so i do hear the reggae influence i even hear a little of the white nana cherry david so i was gonna say eve after all this time 29 finally. years i guess did atlantic finally get the white nana cherry that they, they always did. wanted <laughs> <laughs> There's an interview for this um, promotion cycle where she says kind of at the tail end, you know, Tori Amos has been a part of our lives, meeting her family, our family's lives. Like Tori Amos is a part of our lives for good or ill. And she's talking about, you know, the kind of Tori Amos persona as she tends to do these days as being like a different person. And I almost feel like this song is also kind of coming to terms with who Tori Amos has been and is to her. interesting and surprising too i mean i don't know if you've ever seen a glass blowing reality show like i have but it's all i can think about when i hear this song because the way it sounds it has this kind of like expansive textured vibe to it and it's clearly there's some sadness there but it again has a kind of a regenerative feel to it that i find really surprising and interesting I have no clarity or further awareness about how glass is made after hearing this song. And I'm kind of disappointed. I think Tori is usually really masterful at sequencing the end of her albums in particular, and kind of the one, two punch of the penultimate track leading into the final track. And I'm not sure how I feel about the placement of this song. I was really looking forward to it, especially leading into the end. I just need more time with it. Yeah, this one is, um, it's pretty. I like the, the lyrics of it. It kind of makes 
again, it reminds me a lot of kind of these ocean images that she talks about because, you know, glass being made, you know, she talks about like the green bottle jar. It sort of made me think of like a message in a bottle type bottle that makes sense sort of like sending out a message into the ocean hoping that maybe you'll find it or it'll find you again yeah but I agree with David about the placement it doesn't it seems to lose the momentum that is going with Metal Waterwood 29 years and then it's picked back up with the last track so um, I think it could have been maybe more of a, a middle of the album choice yeah the placement is off like, I'm just going to say that right there. This is the one song that I think I haven't really been drawn to, uh, but it also does have my favorite line, the very last line, where she says, like, I learned too late. Like, I think that's actually really kind of a gut punch, especially when you have this really pretty song, like, la di la, and then just like, bam, I learned too late. Um, so on my playlist, I have this as the second song. Because I think there's, there's a good thread with these songs about grief and overcoming grief. And I think this is kind of like an earlier grief song. I really like this song a lot. It's a top contender for me. Um, it has my f- one, uh, probably, maybe, I need a little more time with it, but it might have my favorite musical moment of the album, which is, I guess it's the bridge that like comes in around minute two, I suppose, like um, for about a minute and 15 seconds. I think it's so fun, like, and dark and moody. And I love that. Um, kind of like how Daytura has the wonderful bridge that you just want to hear over and over again. And that's what I meant when I said earlier, there's like a lot of moments on this album where there are parts of the songs that I just love and I, I want more of. And I, and I actually wish this song could have been divided into two songs where um, you have the the melodic part and the dark part and just more of that. Um, I really, really like that. I listen to it quite a few times. Um, I give the piano like a two out of five. The placement I think for me is fine because I like the contrast of this song and its darkness going into Birthday Baby as the closer. So I'm, I'm really happy with this song. I feel that it's questionable sonically for this to sort of be at the end of the album, but thematically it makes complete sense to me. I feel like she's talking about how she spent a whole year breaking and what she should have learned was how to how glass is made rather than how glass can break. And I feel like it's about, I didn't learn how to fix myself. I learned too late. I learned how to heal myself too late. And so the breaks are deep or the, the cuts won't heal. And so I feel like that is a reflection that can only happen towards the end of the album. But I agree sonically, it's sort of disrupting that really impactful punches of those of the, uh, the metal waterwood 29 years into birthday baby. But I love, I do actually really love this song. I mean, glass is made from sand, right? So it kind of ties back to also the kind of ocean imagery too, of sort of um, become water is sort of from metal water wood and then kind of how glass is made is sort of like reaching, maybe getting through it. And then I sort of also took it like maybe this is about her marriage, you know, she because I love Paul Roy, that part, that exact bridge that you mentioned, that sort of like, she talks about saying things that are cruel and sort of letting them out. And I kind of took it maybe that after the year that she's had, she kind of took it out on Mark or the people around her. Do you know what I mean? And instead, I love Eve, what you're saying is like, rather than focusing on how it breaks, focus on how it's made. And it sort of ties back to that ocean imagery too. So in that way, I think 
the album actually deserves a bit more credit of her trying, you know, in that way, sort of, um, oftentimes you don't see albums that are about like trying, you see them chronicling the breakup or you see them chronicling the joy, but I don't know. It feels like there's, there's a, it's almost liminal sometimes parts of this record and, and that this song definitely feels that way for me. Like she's actually in it as she's talking about it. Yeah, totally. That's, it's interesting though, because that bridge power that you mentioned is like kind of one of the best parts I think of the entire record. And it's really interesting musically, just how it comes in. So, yeah. I, I agree. Yeah, that's, it's, it's like in top, it's in the running to be top musical moment for me, so. This year you survived through it all A cosmic apocalypse, a stop to the Birthday Baby is my favorite song so far. It would get my Golden Harpsichord Award. I love the lyrics. You don't need a party for a party dress. Uh, wasn't it you who taught him his dance steps? I just, I love the feel of it sometimes in life. A grandma tango alone. Oh, don't I know it. <laughs> it's, it's just like, I don't know. It's fun. It's it's just everything I want. It's it's lady in blue. It has that kind of like backroom bar feel to it. Boozy, smoky bar. Oh, love, 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 love it. Love. Well, John, this song too gets my Golden Harpsichord Award. Tori has talked already about this song being inspired by or written for her niece, Kelsey. And I'm a little surprised to hear that because this fits into a category of Tory songs I think of as Tori's like kind of aff- affirmative, positive self-talk. She often has these moments of like, you still got this, you're enough. And I picture her looking at herself in the mirror. And when she does that, she kind of slips into this kind of like sexy lounge player character. And I feel like that's a nod to her former self that was sort of forged in the fires of playing lounges and clubs. And it's like, well, if I can do this, I can do anything. If I can sort of manage this room or beat this room into submission with just my voice and my piano, then I can do anything. There's a little bit of Lady in Blue here. Yeah, Paul Roy Taylor said Bachelorette for sure. Um, I don't know. There's a little, you still got that secret spell. Um, Sometimes I love myself best alone. That's kind of like the sentiment that I'm getting from this. Yeah, it's interesting that, David, you mentioned the piece about her talking about it being for Kelsey. I almost feel like this is one of those where maybe she's bashful to talk about it being about her because it kind of, I don't know, maybe it would make her look conceited or something. But I do think it works more in my conception of the record as like pat on the back to her for getting through the year. And in that way, I think it's actually great. And I think it's good that she's, you know, giving herself a bit of a, a pat on the back. I, I Musically, I, I really love this song. I feel like it almost is like if Tori had to do a Bond song, this would sort of be how it sounded to me and totally get those Lady in Blue Bachelorette vibes. I also think the strings on this, I one thing we haven't talked about is like the strings on this record, because obviously she's worked with Matt and John, who she's worked with forever. But 
John Philip Chanel's strings are actually like kind of beautifully done on this record. And I feel like they in no way suffocate any of the songs. They only accentuate the sort of the feel of them and just take it to another level. And this is one where I just think the combination of everything, as Paul Roy said, I think this, this album's so impeccably produced. And I think this is a song that really speaks to that. So yeah, I think this is kind of a perfect album closer. I, I really love it. I'm with Peter in that I think it's a song to herself, maybe her saying, don't be afraid to tango alone really feels like a mantra. Uh, There are times in life that you have to tango alone. And that's kind of the theme for me of this record um, and dealing with and healing from it and and learning that it's okay to tango alone. And so that's such a good song and a perfect album closer. It just like, it just resolves everything and it just feels it feels right to end the album. Yeah, I love a good lounge Tory. So yeah, definitely Bond theme. Because people were saying like that guy could be a Bond theme. And I never quite heard that. But I feel like she's getting closer and closer to that every time she gets more loungier. So like, yeah, there's like this progression ever since the Mona Lisa Smiles song where she's just like going a little bit more lounge and a little bit. And now it's like she's just full on. She's there. She's ready. She's like, sign me up, MGM. I'm ready. Um, I think this song is gorgeous. Um, and I agree that there's a cinematic quality to the song. Um, I didn't think Bond. I was like, what does this song remind me of? And it reminded me of Susie and the Banshees face to face from the Batman Returns soundtrack. Yes. Yes, right. And even for Susie and the Banshees, that was a bit of an unusual instrumentation for them. It's beautiful. It's a song that when I saw the song titles, and I don't know about you guys, but I think the song titles are like a killer for this album. It's the one song that I was kind of like, eh, that's probably a throwaway. And it's a standout for me on the album. If it weren't for Metal Waterwood, it would get my golden harpsichord. The piano is a five out of five as far as I'm concerned. I am no longer playing the happy birthday song for anybody anymore. It's going to be this song. And I'm sorry if it's too dark for them. But I worry this song is not going to be played very much on the tour. I feel like this is going to be like a Mary's Eyes that like either never comes out or or comes out maybe once in a while. I think it's a perfect album closer. And I noted that the the final note and the final, the vocal note and the final piano note are lovely. And, and uh, it ends the album on an incredibly dark note for me, which may be intentional. It might be just like I'm reading too much into the, the, the notes there, but I uh, love it. I hope we hear it on tour. Like this would be my request for the tour. I think this is a record that could only have come from what we've all been through. And therefore it strikes me as one of her best records. And it's a really, it's like the perfect record for the moment. It's been so long that I've personally gotten a Tory record that was the perfect record for the moment that just made me feel better and made, it was music that I turned to. Native Invader was fantastic. I still really love Native Invader, but it'd been years before that where, where the album was just something that I, needed in that moment and that's even with the first listen of speaking with trees i knew that this was what i needed now i just went back and watched this like old do you guys remember that interview she did in 2014 with was in germany or something and it was that it was like 45 like an hour long interview or something and she goes off on this long 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 talk about like the tax man remember that whole thing in like 2014 about like the tax man and everything and giants rolling pin um and like the fbi and the nsa and like in a way it almost feels like so long ago that it's kind of cute but here 
don't know. It felt like, okay, she's trying to talk about topical things. Here it's like she's talking about topical things, but in the way that Tori Amos does. And I think that's the thing that if, like what you're saying is it really does reflect what we've gone through, but it kind of gives me how I wanted her to present it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yes, um, a thousand percent. Even Peter and everybody, do you think that she did something unique here in that, and based on what you're saying, and I agree with what you're saying, because in the past she's talked about like, I'm either working on an album and I scrapped it because of what was going on in the world. And then we got it and it was very introspective and encrypted and it was, it was very personal. And I don't think she accomplished that on those efforts of, of creating an album for the moment for everybody. And this one does, you know, I'm listening to you guys talk, feel like she is internalizing the last year or so and reflecting it in a way that on its face we can all sort of relate to and and it's a shared experience whereas most of her albums are are purposefully sort of um uh you know hidden a little bit in her own experience what do you guys think yeah and i think that comes down to the experiences that she went through to get to this album because you know after she had tash I think she made a very clear effort to be more of a storyteller as opposed to writing from experience. So we only got those kind of songs like Ribbons Undone or Mary's Eyes because things were happening to her. And I think for the most part, you know, being a mom in Cornwall, not a lot was really happening to her up until this point. So we got album after album of storytelling and probably, you know, oh, I heard this story from you know, the pie shop. And so now I'm going to make a song. Um, And so we actually have 11 songs that are all about her experiences, which we have not had since Choir Girl, I think, honestly. So I think that's another reason. Like, I think we've always connected with her songs where she's had her experience. Her experience is our experience for once. Right. In a lot of ways. Right, because we've all been trapped in the house on our own as well. Um, but yeah, I was going to say this feels wholly personal in a way that nothing has since uh, Choir Girl. And I think like the lyrics being more direct, also it's a risk because one of the things that I think Tori does really well is sometimes talking about things like heartbreak or difficulty through somewhat cryptic messages that we as fans can sort of untangle and find our own meanings in. But what I like about this is it's a, it's kind of puts it out there. One of you just said this, which I love. I hadn't thought about it. It's like, we all actually have had now like a similar experience, right? It's like, um, in a way that's what like COVID has done is it's sort of kind of buckled everyone to their knees and, and it's like a global grief and loss. And, and I like, but I think her using her own personal experiences makes it feel real instead of talking about it. Like she thinks this is how it's going to resonate with people. It's sort of like, all right, I don't have the capacity for that. I need to work my way out of this. And I think that's why probably it's resonating with so many of us. Can I say too, I think like all artists, I guess, Tori does her best work when she's challenged. And I mean, not only by, perhaps life events, but by the conditions under which she's working. 
And I feel like even though she was working with um, kind of, you know, a team that she's worked with many times in the past, and by that I mean Matt and John, um, I feel like sort of the remote recording process challenged her to approach things in a different way and that she was reinvigorated by it. And there was no sense of kind of like lapsing into this is like the way we've always done it. And I just feel like that energy is very present on this album. On that note, I would like to thank you all for being part of Home Ocean to Ocean, first takes from the gays. Thank you so much for your wonderful insight. I mean, we'll all, all we'll see each other on tour, but we'll see each other soon. I mean, hopefully sooner than that. What's the countdown? How many days until Berlin, Efren? 110 days, 38 minutes and 32 seconds, 31, 30, 29. Oh my God. <laughs> I bought a bomber jacket just for the occasion. I might need to let out my bomber jackets after the <laughs> Well, after what we've been through, yes. Uh, thank you for being part of Home Ocean to Ocean. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk again soon. Bye. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamis.com.